Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Carry By Six. The track is Eternity, featuring Tyler from Year of the Knife. Carry By Six is a rock group from the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and South Jersey world. Featuring Zach Barone, Tad Damon, most beautiful yet dangerous person in the Philadelphia hardcore pit. Kyle from Lifeless. Chris Mahmood from Club Reverb, The Trinity Presents, and more importantly, Mushmouth, Out to Win, Box Cutter, PA Hardcore, fucking legend, royalty right there. Chris S. and Sean used to be in that band, The Trail Lies. It's a crazy group of dudes, sick band. They are opening the Gridiron record release show tomorrow in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania at the Polish Club. This podcast guest, Matt Carl, is the vocalist of, Car- of Gridiron from local to the area. And I thought, what cooler than just doing a podcast with Matt Carl on the precipice of the Gridiron record release than to have none other than Carried by Six, the opening band on said show, play. Now, if you're, if you're listening to this shit early in the morning, Friday, we've got Zabalba. Playing the fucking Polish club with Depp Before Dishonor, Cruel Hand, Year of the Knife, Buried Dreams, and Missing Link. That's just Friday. Saturday, the show we're talking about on this podcast with our guest, Matt Carl, Gridiron. That's right, the No Good of Goodbyes record release with Tsunami from the Bay, First East Coast show, Queensway, Division of Mind. From Richmond, Virginia, invoke from North Carolina. And like I said, Carry by Six is starting off. If you're smart, buy your tickets in advance. That's all I'm going to say. Lots going on. Don't miss this one. Great weekend of shows at the Polish Club. Speaking of this Polish Club, April 29th, we've got Desolated from England. Born anew, these streets. Our friends, Street Struck, Tremort, and the Altina Boys, and obviously Cody and the Gloves Off. Whew. It's a wild show. Also, that's April 29th. We have so many shows coming up on phillyhcshows.com. Make sure you check it out. Real quick, something that we don't really have a flyer for, but it's really cool. April 23rd, Nancy Burrell. Uh, in 1980, she was a young hardcore girl, hardcore punk in Philadelphia, who was involved in some of the first hardcore punk shows in Philadelphia. She would later go on to move to Boston and marry Al Burrell of SSD. She would later write a book. This is a book release for her book. And it's super fucking cool to hear somebody from Philadelphia 40 years later talking about her experiences in hardcore punk. I think it's absolutely awesome. And we are lucky that we are going to host the book release. And so if you want to check it out, that is... Saturday, April 23rd. And that is, to me, one of the coolest things we've been a part of. So make sure you check it out. Go to phillyhcshows.com for everything. Real quick, before we get into the, the guest stuff, make sure you're paying attention to this podcast every week because we have new updates for This Is Hardcore coming soon. Shit, man. It went from, I don't know, we got to get things together to it's moving fucking fast. Make sure you're coming. For all you Euros who complained, Thursday, July 7th is a pre-show. Friday, July 8th, 
Saturday, July 9th. Sunday, July 10th, Philadelphia. Do not fucking miss this. Keep listening to the podcast. Follow us. You need some to follow us. At Philly HC Shows on Instagram and Twitter. Philly Hardcore Shows on Facebook. This is Hardcore Fest at Instagram. T-I-H-C Fest on Twitter. Make sure you're checking out. Make sure you're supporting so many wild shows. So many more things coming up at you. All right? So here we go. No Matt Carl since he first started coming around to Hardcore Shows. I watched this kid jump up, take the mic for rock bottom. Blew me away. Couldn't fucking believe the kid could do it. Some wild shows at rock bottom at that time period. For, you know, Dion took a little time off. And he's jumped around. He's done a couple bands here and there for fun. But really, you know, his focus was not being a band guy and just being, you know, friends with everybody and being at all the shows. And so... He gets the idea to do this band with Will as like a joke, and it took off. Blame the pandemic, blame a lot of other things, but Gridiron is a fucking force to reckon with. And in keeping with what I said about sometimes these bands need to go ahead and book their own shit, I want to facilitate and help these guys. So we helped Gridiron with the venue, and they picked all the you know they picked all the bands. It's all their show. You know, the proceeds go to them. You know, it's not like, oh, we're going to make a shit ton of money all booking. No, this shit goes right back to them. You know, this is like, I want to see this band grow. In the old Dysphoria style, when Dysphoria used to book their own shows, you know, it's not easy just to book their own shows. So this is Matt Carl and Gridiron Show. It's tomorrow. I really hope you guys check it out. Make sure you're checking out. We played the track before. Support your local hardcore scene. Support your friends. Support Real Hardcore, and let's fucking go. Today we are bringing back one of the shining stars of our Christmas special. Boyertown's own future Hall of Fame, future statue in the center of Boyertown City Hall, Matt fucking Carl of Gridiron and Boyertown fame. What's up, Matt? What's up, Joe? Thanks for having me on. Yo, man. Big things happen for big guys. You've always been a bigger fucking dude in a fucking huge heart and fucking Pennsylvania hardcore. Uh, from a young kid coming up in the suburbs to now being in the fucking forefront of this post-pandemic hardcore pandemonium started by a, like a side project with your fucking friend over some goofball like group chat shit. <laughs> and... Now you're out there representing all of us. So uh, thank you for holding the flag for PA Hardcore, sticking around, not giving up. I know you were the bass fishing king for a while. I'm glad you got your shit in order and you're behind the mic again. <laughs> and uh, I'm just happy to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm psyched to be on, man. And things are uh, things are pretty crazy right now. They're, they're going well. You know the deal. You've listened to enough of these. Uh, I'd love to know. I know some shit about your uncle and what music he was fucking with, but I need to know what you, where you were growing up, if it was Boyertown or if it was somewhere else. And I need to know what kind of music your parents were listening to and how that kind of got you into hardcore. So I kind of like bounced around as a kid for a little bit. I, uh, I started school in Ole, which is like a town smaller than Boyertown outside of Boyertown. I went to kindergarten there and then I moved to Nazareth in the Lehigh Valley, and I did half of first grade there. 
And then uh, in first grade, I moved to Boyertown. So I lived in Boyertown from first grade until I ended up moving to the city after I uh, graduated high school. But yeah, my uncle uh, managed the bands Live and Fuel, and uh, they're both from like York area. So uh, I grew up, my dad was a big, like, he's a big classic rock guy, like listened to a lot of Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and shit like that. But he also listened to Live a lot, obviously, like the whole family just kind of by proxy listened to Live. But when, so, um, so when your uncle was managing uh, Live, how old were you? Were you like five or six or were you like 14, 15? Yeah, I was like, I'm trying to think. I actually, my first concert ever I was still a a toddler and I actually got to like go in the sound booth while live played what I think at the time was the core state center. So uh, it from like the age, uh, I think he might've started managing them around when like mental jewelry came out, which I think was like 91. So he managed them like early on up until I think maybe like 2005 or something like that. So pretty much the whole duration of that band, he was, he was managing them. So basically, even though Pops was in the classical rock and whatever, your entire band, the Carls, so to speak, the Carl clan really enjoys live. Live. Oh yeah, yeah, we all love live, and uh, all all of our friends know the story. I at this point, it's just a running joke that whenever we hear it on the radio or something like that, I just uh, make sure to remind them that my uncle managed managed them. So you and I were walking around. Was it for a Broad Street Ministry show or something else? Probably Broad Street Ministry. So me and you were walking downtown Philadelphia, and you popped me with that shit. You told me, and literally, I was like fucking dying laughing. I thought it was probably the most interesting factoid I was told by a human at the time. Like, yeah, by the way, my uncle manages the band live, and I'm like, from York, PA? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Like he had all the like the the plat like platinum plaques and shit in his office, like the gold records and all that stuff. It was it was pretty cool. I didn't realize. Like when I was a kid growing up, how, you know, how big of a band they were and stuff like that. I couldn't really grasp, you know, that at the time. But now looking back on it, it was pretty fucking crazy. They were, you know, doing full stadium tours and shit at their peak. I think that it's an interesting thing and it's a funny tidbit, but I obviously some of this is for the people listening. Like this is a little tongue in cheek. I don't, you know, um, if we're thinking about music. Do you remember it, it, uh, before live or after live? Like, what do you think your like as a kid growing up? Your favorite shit that you were listening to was like we're talking about before you got into cooler music. Um, I mean, I was I grew up like I have two older brothers, and they were really big like hip hop kids growing up, and uh, so the, I always used to like borrow their CDs and like cassette tapes and shit like that. And I remember, you know, use like walk into school with uh you know i'd have either like 36 chambers cassette or something like that in my philadelphia eagles walkman and i'd you know listen to that on the bus and stuff like that so outside of like the rock stuff that i would listen to that my dad listened to and live um i was primarily just like hip-hop stuff before i started getting into hardcore what was listening to hip-hop like in the early nineties, mid nineties, whatever that time frame is. Well, for you it'd probably be mid to late nineties. Yeah. In the middle of Pennsylvania. Were there kids fucking with that? Or was it like weird kids with skullets who are like throwing rocks at cars still and didn't understand what hip hop was? 
Dude, so, okay, so my best friend in elementary school, he had an older brother that was friends with my older brother. So he did the same thing to him. So we kind of got put on to this stuff like pretty early. And, you know, people around here, like they listen to like country and shit like that. But we thought we were literally the the coolest kids ever because, you know, we're in fifth grade. You know, we have parental advisory tapes in our backpack or CDs in our backpack. You know, and it was one of those things where not everyone could get their hands on that at the time. So definitely felt a little larger than life walking through Boyertown Elementary, you know, with uh, ready to die in the backpack. Damn. I know. uh, I know for me anyway, that there was like a schism and we went from Van Halen shirts Everybody knew what rock and roll music was because their parents knew what rock and roll was. And then all of a sudden, the hip-hop came out. People started wearing their pants funny, wearing neon green and purple and goofy shit started being cool. And then all of a sudden, all the kids who had long hair shaved their heads. And I was out there by myself like with long hair still worshiping Satan. It was a little bit fucked right. up to deal with. <laughs> yeah, even you got though, put on an though, island. Yeah, even though my mom grew up, grew us up on uh, like Parliament Funkadelic, my mom grew my mom graffiti in the seventies. Uh, all the kids on my corner wrote graffiti and were doing like bebop, uh, b boy, um, break dancing on cardboard. Like I was hip to all that, but I wasn't dialed in because we were like a heavy metal devil worshiping family, so we didn't really go all the way in. But it was actually um, some earlier stuff, like some of the the more less. Uh, Bad influence hip hop that I first got right. into, but by the time Wu Tang came out, I was all in. So we're on the same yeah, page. That, that was I remember having. That's distinctively one of the CDs I remember getting from my brother was the Wu Tang Forever. It was the double disc, and uh, I used to like refuse. I used to hide it in my room when he would want it back because I just could not stop listening to that record. And that's one of, one of the big, big ones for me that really, you know, made me fall in love with hip hop. Now, uh, what is Carl? Is it German? Is it English? Is it just like some white trash European mutt name? Or what, what is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's German. My, uh, my grandparents so you did, so were, when, so you totally missed out on house of pain. When jump around yeah. came out, there was no Irish in you to get excited about a little, little before my time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're a little kid then. Damn. I would say is even even dudes who were fucking with Metallica gave respect to House of Pain. I mean, it has like that kind of, you know, I could see people who, you know, are are on the metal side of things listening to that and being like, you know what, this is this is pretty fucking sick. Like, there's some weird similarities between those two things. So, rock concert style, you were going to live concerts, but were your parents into music? Were your parents? trying to get you on vibes of shit or were they just kind of like normal people and you were out on your own trying to like figure out the shit that you really liked aside from the woo? Yeah. I mean, you know, my brothers were a big influence, uh, way more than like my parents were. My mom listened to like a lot of, uh, like radio hits when I was younger. So like she'd listen to like power 99 when I was young. So I'd listen, you know, I'd hear like all the Mary J Blige, the Aaliyah, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, Montel Jordan, all, all the shit that was on the radio. Um, so she was, she was pretty, you know, pretty hip to things back then. So that, you know, she still listens to like Mary J. Blige all the time. She loves boys, the men. Um, I know you love boys, the men. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. Um, so yeah, besides that, 
then when my parents got divorced, my dad moved to Lansdale and there was a skate shop there called, uh, well, it was Martin's Guitars, but it was also a skate shop. So I would go um, hang out there, like when I was there for weekends. And um, I thought I was like going to be the next Tony Hawk. And well, obviously that didn't work out, but uh, they had like a CD section there and stuff. And I remember getting like a Punkarama CD and I, you know, I checked stuff out uh, when I was younger. And I remember going to a show at the North Penn Y when I was like 12, but I have literally no idea. I don't remember at all who played or anything like that. But um, so that type of music, even though I kind of was exposed to it at a young age, it didn't really stick with me until like a few, few years later. So like, what the fuck did you guys do? Just ride bikes around the house or like what, like, I've always wanted to know, like, if you're how, because, you know, see where we grew up. What do people who do not live completely next door to people, like, how do, how do you hang out with a kid out there? Like, how do you guys link up? Like, is it just through school? And then, like, how did, like, how did you get around and get around other people? Yeah, I li- so I grew up in Center City, Boyertown. So I lived, I lived in, in the middle of the hustle and bustle. Um, bustle. So a lot of times, a lot of times when people, uh, like, after school, everyone would come to my house and hang out. And then like, because we could walk to my house from, from the school and then like their parents would come pick them up later or something like that. But there was a, like a lot of places in Boyertown, like the high school had like a loading dock where tons of kids would go skate after school. So everyone kind of just met up at like local spots and hung out until it was basically time to go home. All right. I didn't know if you were like one of these weirdos who just like sat in your house on the internet. No. We had dial-up when I was a kid. And the disc. And the disc. The free 90 hours. <laughs> so uh, what's the what's the, the kid or the music? What, like, what was the first real stepping stone to finding like hardcore or punk or whatever was the thing that would eventually get you to where we're talking about now? Honestly, it was becoming friends with uh, like Marty and Andrew. That was like- How the fuck the did you meet that- Marty? We went to high school together. He graduated a year above Andrew and I. So who did you meet first, Andrew or Marty? Uh, Andrew. All right. So explain yeah, the I, first time you ran into Andrew and how American was he the first time you saw him? <laughs> so so when I first met Andrew, uh, he was probably wearing like an under oath shirt or something like that. My so, man, straight metalcore. Uh, I love I, it. So, so I was like, you know, obviously like me being like, I don't know, just like a rat bro, pretty much. I look at him and be like, I will never be friends with this guy ever in my life. Like he's wearing girl jeans and Adidas soccer shoes. And I, it's just, our vibes don't match. So and what was your I vibes mean, then if that was his vibes? My vibe was rat like, bro. I was wearing like LRG and shit like that. Like just stupid. Like, I mean, I was always a big like Jersey guy. So I was always wearing sports jerseys and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, it's funny in hindsight because we were just two polar opposites in high school and ended up, you know, obviously being best friends for well over a decade at this point. But, um, yeah, becoming friends with them, you know, I met Andrew and started hanging out with him after school and, uh, Marty was already friends with Andrew at the time. And, uh, we all kind of, like just join forces like my little group of friends and their group of friends all became like one big group of friends. And, uh, that's kind of how I started to get introduced into, you know, specifically hardcore. Now 
you got to let me know the first time you set eyes on Marty and how the fuck you ran into him. Well, I could only see one of his eyes because he had his hair swooped over the other side. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's weird, but, you know, it's just definitely one of those things, you know, you never judge a book by its cover because they're, you know, they're two people that I couldn't, you know, I, you know, played sports and stuff like that. And, you know, they were really into music at the time. And they're just too, you know, if you put 11th grade me next to 11th grade Andrew, you would be like, these people will, cannot coexist together. And same with Marty. And, you know, it's definitely goes back to the never judge a book by its cover because they're two of my best friends in the whole entire world now. I know you pulled off some wild shit and then immediately uh, gave one of the greatest MCings of a wedding I've ever seen in my fucking life. So and Dude. that was for and that was for AC and uh, I I don't think Marty's ever gonna get married so we won't have to have to have to read re- <laughs> he'll probably marry off. a he'll probably marry a rock or something yeah, he's, like that he's out there deciding to betroth himself to some giant rock in the Z- Zion National Forest or something <laughs> now, he'll find his I have faith in him might take a little bit he got he got some high standards so yeah he's got to engineer um, it just perfectly. But yeah, man, that wedding was, I've literally never been more nervous about anything in my whole entire life. You know, that shit was like a Frank the Tank moment. That was straight up out of fucking (laughs) on the stage and you're about to fucking debate James Corville. And all of a sudden you just go, and you pull, I thought I was like, this motherfucker's MC and this is going to be crazy. And instead, like you, anyone who needs their wedding MC'd pay this motherfucker top dollar i'll come in and negotiate for you but i'm telling you this dude killed it It was great you speak to my manager my, the joe hardcore management team but no i mean like i couldn't i like wrote down like the stuff i was going to say on index cards obviously but like they were helpless because i looked down and my hand was shaking so much that like i could everything all the words just looked blurry yeah, and i like fumbled the wedding just freestyle the whole wedding <laughs> there were parts where like i didn't like I just finished the end of sentences and it ended up all working out. Obviously, you know, when it went very well, couldn't, I couldn't have asked for it to go better, but um, yeah, that was something that, you know, even walking up to it, I was like, Oh, this won't be bad. And then when I get up there, like all the thoughts of like, you know, their wedding being postponed for a year because of the pandemic and how much stress and time and effort they both, you know, put into it, you know, for all that to just come down to this moment where they're both standing right in front of me and I have to talk like it, it was un- unlike any, anything I've ever felt before. It was mad chill until, uh, Jill had the crazy grand entrance and I'm like, Oh fuck, this is actually like monumental <laughs> yep. now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I was There's watching no Matt Carl. Back now. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll watch your Matt Carl. I'm like, don't fuck this up, man. We'll never let you down. And said, you kill it. Yeah, I'm I mean, super thankful for them to, you know, even consider me to do that. That really meant a lot to me. So they saw it. They saw something in you. It was fucking sick, man. So uh, you guys are, you're a rapper. Marty's got the swoop hair. We know the coolest guy in the world, AC, is out there rocking metalcore unabashed and not afraid to tell everybody that. So, like, what do you guys do? Do you guys know about bands from the metal stuff that gets you into hardcore? Is there kids flying at your school? Like, how did the three amigos from Boyertown end up getting into hardcore? Like, how'd that work out? So Marty and Andrew were in bands already, uh, and they went to shows at the Silo and Reading a lot. Oh, and shit. then I, think, I remember that place. I, I think from from there, 
is where they kind of branched out and started hearing about shows that were happening in the city and hear about shows that were happening in Doylestown and stuff like that. So they started branching out and going other places for shows outside of Reading. And that's about the time where I started going to shows with them. When was the first time you ran into Bob Wilson? First time I ever ran into Bob was definitely at the Moose. Uh, I forget what, I don't, can't even remember what show it was. I, it might've been like Cold World, uh, you know, War Hungry, Mother of Mercy, and then Mongoloids or something like that. Uh, it was just like a norm, normal show. But obviously, I, you know, I, it was my first time up in Doylestown, so I didn't know who Bob was or anything like that. I think he was working the door. And like the first actual interaction I had with Bob was at the, uh, I'm pretty sure it was at like the Have Heart Blacklisted Ceremony Letdown Tour in Jersey. I was wearing like a very obscure, like shitty Sixers player jersey. And uh, that kind of like sparked conversation. So that was like the first time we ever like talked and then, you know, uh, ended up becoming friends with Kevin. And then, you know, when I started hanging out with Kevin, then I started hanging hanging around Bob Moore and stuff like that. And that's kind of how we all formed as like a group of friends. My question to you is, how did it feel kind of going from those like Reading small metal shows when you were like, can converting into hardcore did you see a difference between the shows or did you feel something special or was it kind of all to you somewhat the same so like the vibes were definitely different you know from reading shows compared to doylestown shows or philly shows because the bands were different like you know there were a different type of band that was playing reading than that was playing doylestown at the time and uh i and i honestly think cold world is is one of the big reasons that really you know, got me to stick to going to live shows and stuff like that, because they have that, that hip hop vibe. And, uh, listening to that, it's like, damn, like, this is kind of like, I really realize how much I like heavy music. And, you know, I really realize how much I like going to shows and it still has aspects of what I grew up loving, you know, which was hip hop. So the combination of the two together was something that I didn't know existed. And, you know, the fact that it does really, really, uh, like made me gravitate towards hardcore. I think that it's interesting to hear that from you because I, I have a totally different presentation of like what I thought cold world was. And I never would assume that it would represent the hip hop side of things. So it's cool to hear that from you. And it, how long do you think it took for you to find like more hardcore bands or were you like stuck in this? Well, if it sounds like this, I'm into it. Like, did you get hit to biohazard? Like what other stuff grabbed you to kind of pull you further in the scene? So that was another thing that like, uh, you know, Marty and Andrew helped a lot with it. Like, Oh, you know, Oh, you really liked cold world. Well here, check this out. You'd like this. And then, you know, I ended up stumbling upon E-Town. And at that point it was just like, it's over. There's, I don't need anything else. You know, that's, it's the best of both worlds combined into one band. And then, you know, I found Downset and stuff like that. So those were the type, that was the type of hardcore uh, that I originally, you know, fell in love with. And then, you know, Biohazard, obviously. And then I started branching out, you know, and then I'd find, you know, I found Death Threat and I found 100 Demons and, you know, things like that. Fury of Five, another band that was, that was huge for me getting into hardcore. Now, this time you're going to the Moose, 
you're going up to Wilkes Bar yet? Are you doing anything besides Jersey? And are you going to Philly yet? Like, how soon did making shows a weekend thing, or did you, was it just hit or miss? Like, how how quickly and how often were you going to shows at that time? No, it was almost instantaneous. Like after the first one, I was like, yeah, this, I want more of this, this, like, you know, I remember thinking to myself like, wow, this shit happens every weekend. And you know, this, this is so cool. You know, this is definitely something that I want to, you know, be a part of and contribute to and stuff like that. So, you know, it was full speed ahead as soon as I got my first taste of it. And then, uh, like Wilkes-Barre, uh, you know, me. it was at that point of time where, you know, there were 200 Doylestown kids or, you know, kids from the city and 200 kids in Wilkes-Barre and all 400 were at every single show in both areas. So, you know, I remember one of uh, the first Wilkes-Barre shows I went to was the Slam Fest where uh, in 2009, I think it was, that was probably my first Wilkes-Barre show and it was just me and Marty that went. But uh, that was the first time I saw Strength for a Reason. And, uh, you know, Title Fight played that. Mother Mercy played that. So that that was another one that really stuck with me. That show was awesome. Interesting. Now, I think uh, everyone has their own kind of destination, or I should say origin that gets them to the destination that is hardcore. But I've always been interested to hear how different kids who, like you, I take for granted that I've been seeing you for so long at shows that it's like, I never really knew your full origin besides you're the border town dude and you love basketball right. jerseys. I, you know, I didn't really take any time to really consider like what the pathway was to find hardcore for you. And so out of high school, what are you doing? What's hardcore like for you? Like where, where's your fucking head at? So out of high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, so I knew that, Philly was a really cool place to live and there were shows down there and uh you know a lot of my friends went to Temple so uh I just decided to enroll in uh culinary school just as literally as an excuse to move to the city like I I didn't I kind of thought like oh maybe I'd like to be a chef and then you know I realized that like the hours are literally the worst thing ever and like just such a high stress environment and stuff like that so I got a, I got turned off to that pretty quick but uh, I just still stuck it out just to live in the city and, you know, to be able to hang out with all my friends and stuff like that. So uh, that was nice to be down there and, you know, be have way more access to shows and stuff like that. I guess my question would be, how much was college even a thought for you or was this a vehicle just to hang and be at shows? At first, like, I mean, obviously, just like most most kids, it's you, you get pressured growing up that you have to do it and uh, that you should do it and you won't be successful if you don't do it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that was like a big driving force. But I don't think in my heart I really ever it was for me. You know what I mean? And uh, so I just, you know, did it for all the wrong reasons to try to make other people happy and not myself happy. And, you know, I learned pretty quick that, you know, it wasn't the avenue that I was made to go. Where do you think your head was at that? Was it shows and just partying and just being around? And what the hell were you going to school? Were you even trying to go to school? Were you making classes? Or was it just like you were going, but nothing was sticking when you would go to classes? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go to class when people weren't hanging out, pretty much. That's how it worked. Like, if the Phillies were on or something, I wasn't going to class. I was watching the Phillies. <laughs> Priority. <laughs> like, there was one – There, I the one time I was in – I had, like, a night class, and it was during a World Series game, and I faked I faked an injury in class to get out. What? You pulled your hamstring? To go. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, faked, I, I faked an injury, and I got out of class to watch a World Series game. So my priorities definitely weren't school while I was in school. It was definitely just hanging out with the boys and – watching sports and having fun. This is a fucking already fantastic fucking podcast. <laughs> just kill me with the fucking pulled the injury because the world series. That's what I asked you. I'm like, this is straight when the Phillies were at their high point. So I'm glad you were uh, not missing fucking not missing any Phillies to go to that stupid college. Yeah. This, yeah, this was Oh nine. Yeah. Uh, for me, I remember a time when you were just a kid in the crowd, and then all of a sudden you got the mic in your hand with rock bottom. Run me through that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was just going to shows at the time and stuff like that, and Dion ended up uh, wanting to pursue other things and wanted to stop, you know, doing rock bottom, and all the other guys Was he pursuing sports be... instead of college? Like, what was he pursuing? <laughs> no, I think, I think he was pursuing college. <laughs> um, fucking bum. So he uh, decided to do that. And then, um, you know, they still wanted to keep the band going. So it was one of those things like I was close close enough with Will Schaefer that I felt comfortable being like, yo, I'll give it a shot. Why not? Fuck it. So uh, I just rolled up to practice one night and like went through the songs and, you know, ended up just working out that I sang for them, you know, for a little bit. Nah, it's always, like I said, one of the coolest things I can do as a local promoter is watch a kid like you come up, be at every show, not just be in the back, but like be a part of every show and then get the mic. It's always like a cool thing. Like, oh shit, you know, like a new, you know, yeah. like there's going to be something cool. And it, especially when a vocalist changed at a point where the van was, the band was starting to catch some vibes. People were starting to talk about them and then Dion was ready to split. So I think that you kind of, had you not jumped into that band, I don't know. I don't know if people were still going to be talking about them, you know? Right. Yeah, it was cool. And then even like looking back on it now, like I was young and stupid and didn't really know what I was doing and stuff like that at the time. So like now going forward, it's a great thing to use as, you know, it was a great learning experience for me, you know, to help me grow and to know what to do and what not to do and stuff like that. So yeah, the, my, my time with them, it, you know, it was fun and it was a, a great learning experience. For me, again, like just thinking about that time, every every couple of years is special, but especially because we had the Broad Street Ministry shows, a lot of the kids like you that were coming from the suburbs stopped being suburb kids and became like actual city of Philadelphia residents. And I think things kicked up a notch. And then next thing you know, that this is hard at the bigger room. And it just like we kind of changed eras at that point. And it was a good time for everything here. And um, I wonder what that felt like for you to kind of go from being like a kid out of the city to now you're in the city, a kid that went to some shows to like you're in a friend group where everybody who you're friends with is in a band, doing a band, doing a label, doing this, doing that. Like it's interesting how quickly something that you just checked out was like, oh, this is cool, became so encompassing, you know? Yeah, and I think that's what made me fall in love with it so much it's like it's so easy 
to do more than just participate. You know what I mean? It, it, it's so easy to contribute, whether it's starting a band or booking a show or doing a zine, running a label, like literally anyone in hardcore can do any of those things at any time. You know, they just got to put in the work to do it. And, um, you know, living in the city at that time, you know, with agitator, you know, going mother of mercy going, uh, it was, you know, Barbary was having shows there, you know, a little after that O'Reilly's had some shows, you know, broad street, the church, so there, it, there was always something going on in the city. And if there wasn't, then, you know, one of the bands within my group of friends was playing somewhere else. So we were going to New York for a show or going to Jersey, Wilkes-Barre, Ohio, you know. So we definitely, it was definitely very busy, but, you know, tons of fun. Nah, it, it's exactly, I couldn't agree more. The further you immerse yourself, especially when you're immersing yourself around people who are doing shit, you don't always have to be the person that does like, well, if he's in a band, I need to be a band. But just to be a part of it all, even just to help out, I think it just adds another layer of immersion. And it, it does really do show the importance of like what hardcore is, how it can affect your life positively. And, I, you know, it's not a Twitter thing. And I mean, I think yeah, Twitter was just probably starting to get around that time. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think at that stage, there were still more people that you had to hang out with in person to know before it got to this like internet only friend stage where we're kind of at right. now. Right. And being around those type of people, obviously it drives you, you know, having, having motivated people who want to participate, who are booking shows, who are doing bands, you know, being around those type of people, they drive you and motivate you to want to do those things as well. Well, like, I mean, I know you as like someone who obviously knows about hip hop shit, you always hear people like, Hey, if you sit in this circle, you know, if you sit with the crumbs of bums, that's what you're going to deal with. You go up and you deal with these people, that's what you're going to deal with. If, you're, if your circle is people who are even just hoping to do something, like as much as that soupy drives me nuts sometimes, if you're a young kid and you're around soupy, now you're going to be influenced by a soup because the kid's into everything. You know, right. but, if you're, but if you're around some kid that's like, I don't fuck with this, I don't even want to go to that show, you're going to have a totally different vibe. And exactly this circle of people that you guys had around you were fucking fantastic. There were so many different iterations and different people coming in, coming out. Um, and like you said, because you know, the activity of Bob's bands, agitator, everyone was playing everywhere. You guys would go down to UB, you guys would go up to triple B, you know, like there wasn't something that you guys weren't hitting within like a fucking 10 hour reach at one point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, even, you know, then it, it, it's a little, you know, probably because we're a little bit older now, like 10 hours seems like a lot further now than it did, you know, 10 years ago. But I mean, you know, anything within, if you can make a day trip out, even if it was, you know, an 11 hour drive, we were doing it. It didn't matter. You know, I remember the one, I think it was uh, Fest Out in Ohio. We had like 15 people in the agitator van going out we drove drove out agitator played ohio and drove home that's it that's the shit that's what you do your boys go to play you jump in the fucking van that's what we do to me that's like the exhilarating process of just being out on the road not for any like this is like a grand plan it was like yo fuck it i just jumped in the van you know Yep, let's go we're all going no one no one's going to be around to hang out with so we're all going to go hang out there together you know, um, a big part of the conversation that I wanted to have is is this right here, because 
it's easy it's easy to step back and be like, oh, this band gridiron, you know, whatever, whatever the case is, because you guys kind of popped quick. And and I wanted people to hear your story to understand, like, look, bitch, like the fucking the fucking band, yeah, like the band's got the band's got some fucking notoriety now. But let it be known, you fucking you fucking hone that you hone that sword, you fucking put your time in just being a person at shows. And sometimes to me, it is the person like a Matt Carl. It's funny it's you because he's just such an oddball kid. And I'm right. like breaking your fucking <laughs> I literally live to break your balls. But Oh, I know. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> it's like so like but at the same time, it should be someone who for no other reason did just because they loved hardcore traveled and did these things and was cool being like, Yeah, I sang for that band and like you didn't make your entire life around just being in that band that one minute. You know, and you didn't stop there and you went to these places and you did all these things because that's that's a lot of that's like it goes beyond immersion in the culture and it goes to like this is some life or shit. This is some like, hey, you know what? Like, I love this shit. I'll drive all 10, 10 hours to see my boys play where another person's like, nah, I'll see your nut asses next time you guys play around here. You know, like right. you start building up this next level of like, oh, I'm gonna come around here. You know more people, and it does add a a, a, le- a layer of depth because now you're traveling. Once you start traveling out of state and like out of region, you go to going to New Jersey doesn't even count. Going to New York City barely counts. Start going to Connecticut, Maryland, you know, Massachusetts, even Maryland, it's a little bit different than the Philly scene. You go out to Ohio, it's a different world. You know, right. and you start getting a better understanding, a grasp the depth of hardcore, the variety, the different people, the mosh and the different bands. And I love knowing that somebody that's been around a while still has a couple things in them before they're going to fucking tap out and just be a union electrician. You know, right. I, <laughs> it's a bit, it, no, it's cool to me because I think sometimes the young kids think, you know, like I got to get out there and be in a band now. Otherwise, you know, what am I going to do in hardcore? It's like, man, you got your whole fucking life to be in a band. Do this shit whenever you have the time to do this shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, and a lot of times the best stuff happens when it's totally unexpected. I mean, none of this gridiron shit two years ago was even a thought. You know what I mean? It's always something that, you know, oh, I'd love to start a band that sounded like this. And that's all it really was. And then, you know, because of the pandemic and stuff like that, and, you know, because me becoming friends with Will, uh, you know, those are the things that really put the ball in motion with this, but, you know, it was totally unplanned and, you know, which, you know, everything was super organic with it, you know, which is, I feel like the way things should be with this kind of stuff. Well, like even that in itself, so like you go through this period where you're just at every show traveling, doing the damn thing, whatever it takes. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, life happens. You're out here, got your girl, you're a fucking bass fishing fucking wizard whatever crazy shit that you're up to right now. And then all of a sudden, yeah, fucking here's Matt Carl making sure he's down at FYA for his boy, Bob holding it down for Bob Wilson. And I think it's in them FYAs and still having that connection with hardcore and coming to this hardcore and this kind of stuff that kept you in the game while you're out doing other shit. And that's how you first built up that relationship with Will. When NEG started popping, you probably knew him from the team when he came down and yeah. that's the and that's the stuff that that's the serendipity of meeting somebody from another state and you have some homies, you know, mutual homies and you've been to some shows together. And then just out of nowhere, it's like, yeah, we should link up and do something. This shit could be cool. 
it's it's always interesting when people have the ability to link things up over time. And I, and I talk about a lot of this on the podcast. You may run into somebody and five years later, do a record label with them, Ben, or they might move to your city. Like never discount meeting someone in hardcore as like, Oh, I just met this person because everybody's interconnected. And, and if the fucking, whether it's the fucking timing or you guys, you know, like just organize it correctly, but crazy shit has come and, and, and chance moments of meeting friends and then building something like a gridiron at a fucking thin air, you know? Right. And that's why, you know, I feel like every relationship in hardcore is important because they're hardcore on the, you know, grand scheme of things is very, very, it's microscopic, you know, compared to other things. Um, You know, so every relationship you build with people, whether they're your next door neighbor or they live 3000 miles away or they live in another country, all that stuff is important. And, you know, it's important to value because, you know, you never know when, you know, you're going to go to that country or you're going to go to that state. And that's, you know, now you have a connection in an area where you're not from or you're not used to. And all those things are vital, you know, as far as, you know, whether you're in a band or even if you're just going on vacation or something like that. Now, you know, someone in the area that can, you know, help you out if you need it. Well, I I couldn't agree more. And I also think like there there's unseen connections that we may not realize just from you know the serendipity of running into somebody at a show in new york or like you said traveling to ohio or going down to a fest and it's it doesn't mean that you have to make the craziest emphasis on every single person you've ever met at a show or spoke to but we are still the only people that are in the room at that time for that show and that show can happen again with a different lineup or the same lineup and same on a different date it'll never be the same it's always like a one-time we did this thing together and that's what makes a lot of this. And that's what makes a lot of hardcore shows completely different. You know, um, I know probably country Western people get up and play in front of 20,000 people every single night. And there's probably a crazier crowd in this, this city, that city, but it's still a stadium. There's still a barricade. The stage is still the same. Hardcore is different, man. And it's special. And it's also the people and the timing. It's, it's so, it is so random when a thing like a gridiron happens, you know? And I think that all the, all the, all the right formulaic things have to come into play. And I remember when you brought it up, like, Hey, yo, we're going to do this. Come down and sing on the demo. I was like, the fuck is this? This fucking kid's getting ready to go to be a union. What is he trying to do a fucking band for, you know, like, and yeah. yet, and yet here we are. And I'm at FYA doing a guest vocals for the first time. And I'm like, Holy shit, these motherfucker kids love this motherfucking band, you know? Like it was awesome. It was awesome for me to see something that you were kind of doing on a lark and something that was kind of like not tongue in cheek for you, but you know, you weren't going into it being like a world dominating, here's the plan, let's get out the fucking map. We're going to take this over. You know, like this was truly about having fun with your friends and you know, whether you want to blame the pandemic or you just want to say that I think a lot of the winds of change came. And I think conversely stuff like E-Town Concrete happening at This Is Hardcore, E-Town Concrete memes, kids coming from a different direction in hardcore than previously really opened the path. So kids had a better opinion of shit that isn't like, if it's not, you know, I know, you know, if it's not this kind of hardcore, it's not cool. If it's not this type of metal, it's cool. Like, I think the younger kids now are so much more wide open and they're a lot more giving to bands. I think 
the 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 old standards in hardcore don't really apply to the kids who are like anywhere between 18 to 22 right now because they don't even know what those fucking standards were. This shit's all exciting and new to them, you know? Right. And I feel I feel like now it's a lot easier to realize uh that hardcore comes in so many different shapes and sizes. You know, there's people, you know, that you know back years back that would, you know, listen to Eton Concrete and be like, this isn't hardcore. Uh, you know, or they'll listen, you know, to something or downside and be like, this isn't hardcore. But, you know, hardcore is such an umbrella that, you know, there's a band like Negative Approach and a band like E-Town Concrete sound polar opposite of each other. They're both hardcore bands at the end of the day. You know, and I think now, you know, whether it be the internet or things like that, um, you know, I think kids have, it's easier to digest different things now than it was before. And, you know, I think people are exposed to different types of things more now. So I think it's easier for them to digest different things. When you, when you were thinking about in general, approaching a band, I know that you had said that you had an idea to do a band, but what was the, if you had to say, what, what was the formula that you and Will were talking about putting into the pot to start gridiron off? Like, where was your mentality at? I mean, it was one of those things, like, the original text I sent to Will was, write some music that I could rap on. And that's all we were going to do. Like, that that's it. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, I was just going to record it or something. Like, everything was, you know, the drums were programmed and, and shit like that. And uh, I ended up writing lyrics to it. You know, we obviously, you know, E-Town, you know, to, to a point was something that, you know, we thought of, you know, obviously there's definitely some crutch vibes and stuff with the music. And, um, it was one of those things that I just ended up writing the lyrics for and sent him the will. And Will was like, yo, maybe we should just like actually record this. It's kind of cool. So then that's when I ended up, you know, asking the other guys to, you know, be in the band, you know, just for recording purposes at that point, because we never planned to play a show. So then we recorded the demo and then, or the EP and then uh, Alex from Streets of Hate put that out and then it kind of just snowballed from there. No, I think that's cool, man. It's one of these things, again, the the kind of recording that we can do nowadays is so much easier. It's it's way more viable to do a project. The quality is quicker. The, the transfer of information is so much quicker between band people. It makes projects like this just so much fucking easier across states. And you guys are, you guys are like, three hundred miles apart. Yet it was that easy to pull together. Like, oh yeah, he only lives in Wilkes Bar or something. Yeah, I mean, we recorded the e the EP and the split were both recorded before we ever even played together once as a band, That's like incredible. practice or anything. That's incredible. It was like a pro- what they would call like a project band back in the day, you know? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Will would record all the guitar stuff in Michigan and then just send it send it over to Wyatt, and then he would do the rest. I like that you mentioned Crutch because I feel like, to me, if I'm if I'm trying to do a band in hardcore that's like a hip hop thing, my my first two or, or like originators or not originators, but people that I feel really led the way would be you know Biohazard 
and off a of biohazard, you could talk like either whether it's some of the stuff from Doggy Dog or you could talk about like, you know, later on with E-Town Concrete. But I know the influence of Crush is heavy in the whole entire young hardcore scene. So it's cool to see that you guys had that thought because Crush was basically trying to do their best Warzone or Biohazard impression. So it's cool that you guys are trying to do your best Crush impression. It's fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Crutch, you know, they're, they're not as far as like straightforward rapping as like, you know, E-Town is or anything like that. But if you listen to like the delivery and the, and the lyric patterns and stuff like that, it's very, very much a hip hop vibe as far as vocals go. No, I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with that at all. Now, it's important to people. I, I, do you think that people don't know that you weren't really looking to like hit a grand slam with this thing? Or do you think people kind of picked up on that? Like, how did you think it was taken in by people? And do you think people may have missed that you guys were not really expecting to vibe the, the kids, the vibe on this, this big and to, you know, take on to it as hard as they did. I don't know. Um, you know, it was, I, I feel like because it happened in the middle of the pandemic, I feel like people maybe assumed that it was like something that was long in the making, you know, something that, you know, took a lot of time and stuff like that. You know, it was thought out. Uh, it seemed like maybe that's what people thought or think, but in reality it was like the, it was the polar opposite. Um, it pretty much, you know, all happened within, I'd say three weeks, you know, Will sent the rough guitar tracks. I wrote the lyrics and we recorded probably all within three weeks. I guess I know that you were telling me, I mean, I have a decent idea of what some of the lyrics are from the, the EP, but as the band grows, did you have to say, Hey, I want to put more into the lyrics? Like where was your mindset after the EPs out, the splits out and people are fucking with this? Like when you're, cause obviously, you know, anyone who's listening doesn't realize this the record release for no good at goodbyes the first one in philadelphia is tomorrow outside of philadelphia and phoenixville and then next week is the one in detroit so once you knew people were fucking with you guys did you go harder on no good at goodbyes and in, in making a like distinct lyric like concepts like ideas or did you just go the same way you did off the ep when you went to do no good at goodbyes um, I mean, it's one of those things, like, I just try to, like, you always want what you're working on to be better than what you last worked on. So, you know, basically, my bar would just be to make it sound better to me than the last stuff, you know, so I, I spent more time focusing on patterns and focusing on not necessarily like punchlines per se, but lines that kind of you know, would stick with someone after they heard it, you know, whether it's something, you know, dumb, like rhyming Boyer town and lawyer town, like it's, <laughs> that's stupid. You know what I mean? But it, it sticks and it, and it sounds good. And, you know, so things like that, that, uh, you know, just tend to be a little more catchier. And I, you know, I tried working, you know, alliteration a little bit more, uh, you know, just different different things like that. I put more of an emphasis on at No Good at Goodbyes, but it was also a little more difficult for me to write lyrics for that because I've never written lyrics uh, for an LP before. It's always just been you know four songs, four songs, no problem. 
but you know, doing you know seven new songs, um, and then taking two songs that were re-recorded from our first two releases and kind of like altering the lyrics a little bit to make it the same, but a little bit different. Uh, that was kind of challenging too. So, you know, all in all was just kind of putting a little more pressure on myself to, you know, make things kind of step up a level. Now, when we talk about the, the, some of the tracks, I got to ask you, what's up with the song trench? What about it? Just what 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 was this concept? Because obviously you built like um, Dom took this World War One uh, trench warfare. So like, where was the concept? Were you in, did you think of the concept of like, yo, I want to do this? Was it like because obviously the record's art was built around it. Like, w- where did this come into play? I mean, that was kind of like a ode to like older, you know. PA hardcore bands had a lot of like, you know, war centric, battle centric, you know, album art or lyrics or stuff like that. So that's also, you know, something that I kept in mind while writing those lyrics. And, you know, me and actually Mikey from Never Ending Game were driving in the car together and uh, we were just kind of like rattling off ideas to each other and uh, came up with you in the bench, we in the trench. And I was like, well, that's so you know, that sounds so dumb that it works. It's perfect. So basically I just tried making, you know, I built the whole song around you and the bench, we in the trench. See, that's what I thought. I thought you had a line and it all, I, cause like I think about, I know uh, people who write rhymes and shit. Sometimes it takes one rhyme and then they, they conceptualize an entire song, some verses, you know, whatever, some 16s around it. So I was wondering if you had that line here. I go, fuck it. I'll build the whole song, the whole lyric around it. That's exactly what happened with that song. It was all around you on the bench, we in the trench. (laughs) That's so fucking... (laughs) Well, because some people who are from hardcore don't realize, like, hip-hop people don't write songs the same way. Right. I was was perusing some of these... uh, I fucking hate the internet more and more. And what I hate about the internet is it gives everybody the opportunity to throw down their opinion on the record. And I have to wonder for someone who's just trying to have fun, did you ever see something of the, the previous releases or this release that made you go, what the fuck is this person talking about? No. Um, I mean, obviously this band, this type of hardcore isn't for everyone. And it's one of those things, like, if you don't allow yourself to not take everything seriously all the time, you're going to hate it. You know, it's it's a fun band. You know, it, it's a band, you know, even Will and I, when we first started this, we were like, you know, this is just something that we want to do, have fun with, that our friends can, can dance to. That's all it is. You know, so there's going to be people, you know, the the library hardcore people with their backpacks who will listen to this and be like, well, this isn't hardcore, you know, and I, that's expected, you know, I, I don't really care, you know, as long as ultimately at the end of the day, as long as I enjoy what we're putting out and as long as the other four guys in my band, like what we're putting out, that's all that matters to me. No, it's always because the, sometimes the indie press doesn't have much to talk about. I always hate when I see people call it like rap metal or they call it new metal. I feel like someone who just wants to write columns 
to get their name out as a journalist, the lowest hanging fruit is hardcore releases. And I was right. reading through some of this shit and just going like, this person didn't listen to this record. <laughs> I googled your name and just just threw up some some shit on it. And I think a lot of these people do. So I didn't know like, for me, I gave up reading anything someone would ever write about anything I do because their opinion is like fucking. Their opinion isn't what counts; it's that they do it because they want credit for doing it. You know. Yep. So and great. it doesn't. It doesn't. Go ahead. No, no, you finish. It it does ultimately. No one gives a fuck about their opinion at all. You know what I mean? And that person that's writing that opinion, they're probably not going to shows. You know. So what the fuck do I care? As I said, I hate the internet. <laughs> I fucking hate the internet. Um, side note, because it's on topic with the current stream, I really hate Fred Durst. And because I'm older, by the time we were playing in bands, like the girls who listened to Limp Biscuit were hot, I guess some of them, but like no, I don't, I don't know a single person in hardcore who was like, oh yeah, Limp Biscuits is that's what's up. Unless they were like blessed young people who that's like their entrance into it, then we kind of gave them like ah, I understand it, right? But I can't get and this is partly part two of why I hate the internet. I can't get down with like all this whack shit getting like the past, like oh yeah, yo, this shit was cool though. It's like nah, son, it wasn't cool. It has nothing to do with hardcore. Fred Durst doesn't give a fuck about Chromags, and if he does, fuck him anyway. Doesn't you can <laughs> buy a Chromags record and still not be a cool dude. And so, like, whenever I saw people like making the Limp Biscuit thing to gridiron, I'm like, nah, don't put, don't put dirt on their name like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I respect you. I respect you yielding the shield for us. Nah, man, I'm not. I just can't. Don't put, don't put that evil on these motherfuckers. You know. <laughs> so, um, how's it feel? Like you're a kid who loved hardcore. You're getting up on stage at the big show. The Bob Wilson FYA. Obviously, yeah, you know people are, are popping for you guys, but like everybody, everybody who's friends with Bob wants to make sure FYA is great for Bob. You're another person who's always rode for Bob hard. You probably drove him crazy at times, but you know, and he's listening, he's probably laughing this that about it. But like, how did that feel to step up at the FYA, stare out there and see that crowd, and then just feel that energy like? that had to be a moment for you that just like validated so much. And like, what are your take back takeaways from that? It, it was, you know, I always go into shows, you know, not with low expectations, but ultimately, ultimately it's like, if, you know, people care cool, if not, you know, still got up and still got to get up and play music with my friends. And the fact that, you know, our reaction was so cool at FYA and the fact that it happened at FYA, um, you know, it was just, it was very fulfilling. And it was one of those things that like after our set, you know, it, it, I just constantly kept thinking to myself, it's like, that's, this is exactly why I love hardcore so much. Like everything that I love about hardcore is right here, right now at this fest. And, you know, it was just, you know, it was, it was pretty emotionally overcoming for a while. Like just, you know, kind of letting everything soak in you know, to, you know, be in a band with some of my best friends, you know, a band that, you know, people are going off for at, you know, one of my best friends fests with all my best friends, you know, there's really not much more you can ask for. No, and, and the energy was live. The 
atmosphere was out of this world. And that's that's the thing that always made me mad because in the zine culture, it was easy to take shots. And I kind of actually wish people would have paper zines because you could be the biggest band in hardcore and some dickhead in Vermont could be like, yo, fuck Red Iron. Them dudes suck. It's not hardcore. And you can't beat them up. You don't know them. You can't have 30 of your friends in your group chat go and RT them and start disrespecting them. You just have right. to look at this piece of paper and see that someone didn't give a fuck about your band. And you either didn't care or it ruined your whole fucking day. And in lieu of that, the culture today is when one person says something's good, everyone has to follow suit. Otherwise, there's almost like this game of like, uh, there are people in bands who won't say the right, who won't say negative things about any band because they don't want it to come back on them. And there's people that specifically had said, you can't say certain things about certain bands because then they won't take you on the tour. And I have to know, because you're not a retard, that you're not going to sit there and at Twitter and go, oh, uh, you know what? Um, this guy in this band didn't retweet about our, our record. Fuck them. I don't like that band anymore. Like, you have to see this pettiness and also like the jumping up to scream and make sure people know that you also like this, you know? Dude, yeah, that and like the sense of like, I feel like the sense of entitlement as a whole right now is higher than it's ever been. And it's one of those things like. Explain the sense of entitlement part because that could go to so many different things. I want to see what exactly you're you're zeroing in on here. Like, I feel like people either, you know, starting a band and expecting to be put over immediately. uh, I think that's a big one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, put a lot of time and effort and hard work into stuff and, you know, people, it's just like anything else in life. The more you put in, the more you get out. And that's the bottom line. You know, nothing is ever gifted to you. No, I couldn't agree more. Think about, we were pushing living laser back in 2012 and 13 and it took till they did Mind Force for people to finally grow up and realize what a fucking force Mike Shaw and Jay Petty is. Like what that dude, what those two can do. You know, Unreal. like, yeah. And, and, you know, there's always been an ageism when it comes to hardcore in the last 20 years where, like, the older you are, the less chance you can start a new band and young kids pop for it. And um, I'm glad you brought up that thing where, like, yeah, like, there's got to be work, bitch. Like, just because it came out doesn't mean it's going to be good. And it goes back to why I say like the zine culture was crazy because anyone could write anything about anybody. And also just cause they wrote it and they put it on a zine doesn't mean someone's going to fucking read it, but right. it, it was kind of it was a very fair system. And I don't, and I think stuff on Twitter gets brought out into this crazy world where like you could, you can't even be constructive. You can't, voice a contrarian opinion or say oh that's all right but or when people are talking about music you say hey this because it's it's almost useless to communicate and i think when talking about bands specifically about gridiron which is my larger point in the zine culture world it was easier to have disparaging remarks about a hardcore band that didn't follow the pattern or the style that the writer of the zine enjoyed most. And yet I was at E-Town Concrete shows 
And I was at E-Town Concrete shows with people from Floor Punch. And I was at E-Town Concrete shows with people from all different things. And no one ever at an E-Town Concrete show didn't look like a hardcore kid. And never felt anything less than a hardcore show. And yet, most of my teens into my early 20s, a band like E-Town Concrete was disparaged. You know, they're not even like a real hardcore band. It's like, how the fuck would you know that? And 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 so... Uh, there is a lasting fuck you from my generation to everyone who naysayed these motherfuckers. And I think it's important to say like a gridiron encompasses a band that has a lyrical flow that is not outside of hardcore and well within the realm of what other hardcore bands have done to the point where like calling it rap metal or new metal is stupid because the vibe is a thousand percent hardcore from the opening note. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, you know, back to one of my earlier, you know, earlier points, hardcore comes in so many different shapes, sizes, and sounds, you know, so you, uh, naturally people like a certain type of hardcore more than another type of hardcore. Like me, I would rather listen to something like E-Town than something, you know, super fast and, you know, something like that. Everyone has their own opinions and stuff. Just because you don't like it as much as you may like another style of hardcore doesn't make what you don't like not hardcore. No, that's exactly it. It's a game where sometimes I feel like the majority opinion will hold on the twitter world if that makes sense or like or like oh well this fits in so we all accept this and yet so many different elements i mean and and you being a kid who grew up in hardcore and also then coming to this is hardcore you know yeah you you were actually there when we had from ashes arise play and manball headlined (laughs) like you've seen some of these crazy bills that we've put on and you and just in this area i think we've had such a good mix of different sounds and, you know, crazy bills where not always everybody fit in perfectly, but they all fit and the crowd always went off. And I think that probably led a little bit to why you felt like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm doing it. Not only just cause you wanted to do a band like that, but it's good that you look at the hardcore that way because it's the way I've always looked at it. Like now nah, this fits. No, well, it's a little bit different, but it fits, you know? Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, they're being from this area, you had, bands that you know even just pennsylvania as a whole you know you would have you have bands that like let down uh you know a super fast aggressive band uh and then you had bands like enemy mind the polar opposite both hardcore bands both great bands you know sound totally different from one another but ultimately at the end of the day they're both hardcore and you know you go to a show where both those bands are playing and fans from both band, or both fans of both bands are in that venue together. Everyone in there is a hardcore kid, regardless of what band that they're most excited to see on that bill. I gotta tell you that um, Mike from Enemy Mind's a cool guy, but he's not as cool as Bob taking his microphone and bashing his own face in. And I would <laughs> I would love nothing more than have Enemy Mind Mike sit there and watch Mike uh, Bob Wilson beat his own face open with a microphone because I would want like commentary or inside Mike's head watching this because it'd be so fucking funny to see. That would be very funny. 
<laughs> just him sitting at like a desk with like a just actually commentating it from yeah, the like, side. Like it would like you know when you see Snoop doing the animals thing, I think enemy Mike watching shit that Bob Wilson has done in Letdown would probably be <laughs> a, a YouTube hit, to be honest. Yeah, with you. that yeah, that would be good. That might be a million dollar idea right there. Now, taking it back to the home front here, we got this show. I I you know, Philly Hardcore Shows is proud to present it, but as I told you and I've said on this podcast, the best thing a band can do if they're able is to put their own show on because when a show like this comes around, yeah, there's always promoters in your town and, you know, they'll help you out. But, like, this is a 100% gridiron show. We're just facilitating and making sure it happens. This is this is your guy's baby. So um, run it down about the record release, the band's plan, how you pick them up. Like, let me know and tell everybody like why these bands are playing your bill. Well, you know, when we had the conversations of, you know, what bands we wanted to ask to play, um, you know, we obviously had right off the bat had the idea to do two shows, you know, it was only fair to will for us to go play out there too, you know, cause he's the one always coming to the East coast and playing and we're never going out there. So for once he gets to stay home and we get to be the ones that, that travel. Um, but yeah, I mean, the lineup is, you know, we love all those band. We love every band on both shows, uh, all the people in every band on both shows. And, uh, you know, it was very easy to pick who we wanted. Um, the whole lineup top to bottom of the show tomorrow um, is just, it's great. I mean, Carry by Six, amazing PA hardcore band, you know, all the way up, you know, Tsunami, uh, it was awesome for them to just fly out for a one-off, basically, you know, uh, and we're going out, we're going out there at the end of May for a weekend. Uh, all what's those going shows on with that? What's really going on cool. with those shows? Uh, we're, it's Memorial Day weekend, uh, the 27th, we're, uh, playing Las Vegas, and then the 28th, we're playing, uh, California or LA with, uh, you know, section hate tsunami, a bunch of other sick bands. And, um, both those shows are sold out or no Vegas isn't sold out. Uh, LA is sold out. And then the following day we're playing the Bay and, uh, that show, uh, is also sold out. So all those shows should be pretty crazy. So yeah, we got a pretty, pretty exciting, uh, two months ahead of us. No, I think it's cool that you linked up with the right bands. You know, a combination. Um, the sleeper hit is going to be Queensway, calling it right now. Never fucking sleep on that band. Anyone who ever goes live and thinks that like Queensway is going to be the fucking sleeper hit, go fuck yourself. Another awesome thing is you know Queensway Invoke, Division of Mind. You know, all three of these bands are are you know pretty local bands for the most part. They're within the region. They're, uh, they're South Mid Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, and I mean those three. Well, actually, no, 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 no. North Carolina, they're beginning of the real South, but uh, we yeah. won't we won't call the Richmond kids full South, even though they lost <laughs> the war. We won't call them the full South. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, you know, all three of those bands haven't really played the area in, in quite some time. So to get them all on the same bill together, uh, with Tsunami, who it'll be their first time in Pennsylvania, uh, 
it's it's pretty cool that it all came have together. They, the have way they, have they even played the East Coast yet, or where, have they ever played the East Coast? Played Florida? Florida FYI, East Coast. Uh, yeah, just just FYI, FYI. Florida's not East Coast. Okay, so no, no. And let's be real, Richmond, you are in the South. I fucked up. Baltimore, you're the you're the beginning of the South, but now nah, we'll keep you. Richmond, you're South. North Carolina, you're South. Florida is way fucking South. Actually, Florida's <laughs> own fucking own fucking planet. Yeah, I thought Tsunami's this is the first East Coast show. So all you motherfuckers buying this fucking band's merch, you better be at this motherfucking show. Um, yeah, it's I, gonna be fun. I hate to bring it up, but what the fuck's up with the football? What do you mean? What's up with the football? Explain it to me. It was hey, it'd be be funny if we did a football. So is uh, it kind of like mocking? We did the, a football. Is it the mocking of the amount of goofy merch? buying that happens in the scene or was it more a play on the band name and the fact that you thought it'd be cool like i, I like i have to I, I have to wonder if it's a little bit of both or something i do think it was a little bit of both i think it's like what what's the it was kind of like what's the dumbest thing that we could make that people might buy and it was like well football makes a lot of sense so let's do a football so i mean it's kind of cool how many how many bands do athletic goods not enough Shit, we might maybe we'll do a hockey stick next. I don't know. You should do a fucking boomerang. A bo- <laughs> yeah, we'll do a, a boomerang. I'm all right. Gridiron boomerangs. I think fucking soon. promoters will be pissed as fuck. You start selling them at a show, but <laughs> uh, no, it's just a general thing because obviously you know not just the gold tsunami thing, but there is this. We're on a precipice of people buying shit, and and I'm not a hip person. I'm wearing a fucking white V-neck t-shirt right after work. Kind of a not fashionable person. But I find that sometimes band names and bands become goofball like branding. So kids don't care about the band. They, just wear the, they want to wear the gridiron uh, you know, fit with this thing and that thing. And it's good for bands because obviously economically it supports the band. But it also is kind of a goofball thing in a sense of like it turns – a hardcore thing into a fashion thing and not in the way of like, yo, I fuck with this band. Like, Oh no, I just want to look cool for someone. Yeah. And I think there's a fine line between that. Um, you know, the, the rest of our merch is pretty straightforward stuff. You know, we just, uh, kind of wanted to do, you know, we did the track suit and the football kind of matches the track suit. So, uh, you know, besides that, it's just been shorts and T-shirts, you know, your normal run-of-the-mill stuff. We just kind of wanted to do one thing that was kind of crazy off the cuff, and that's what we ended up falling on was the football. Now, you put effort into this band, and you like it, but you still have fun with it. So is there a, is there a balancing point where you like the band and you want to do it, you're, you're, you're doing it out of the right reasons, it's your friends, you're having fun, and you guys don't take yourself too seriously. But there has to be a moment for you where it is exciting because, you know, not everybody gets this opportunity. Not everybody gets an opportunity. Like we talked earlier, like, we're a band. And you got to remember, and, and for those listening, yeah, like, uh, Will has been in bands before fucking NEG. I still think Detain it was fucking fantastic. They blew me away when Shadow Wrong played with them at the Rumble. And they did great at our pre-show a couple years back at this hardcore. So these, you know, um, Tyler's played in 
everything from agitator onward, you know, and also fronts and year of the knife. Uh, Xavier is a fucking, the journeyman fills in for everybody on a, on a minute's notice, you know, has been in a, a shit ton of bands also does Simulacra. You know, you guys are band members with journeyman people who have been in doing this shit. So there is some attaboys for people who have been doing bands, but I, it has, it has to get to you or does it not get to you? When someone dunk, tries to dunk and be like, ah, oh, no one cares about gridiron or it's a flash in a pan or, you know, this is some gimmick shit. Like, like, where's your thought process on that? No, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's, it's a band that I always wanted to do, uh, you know, a type of band like this. And, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's with, you know, four of my great friends and, you know, the whole, the whole vibe of gridiron is you know it's the it's no stress it's all vibes you know i don't ever want it to become something where you know we start arguing about stuff or you know things like that like you know everyone has an equal say in stuff you know there's everyone's opinion is valued uh i think that's just super important and you know the fact that you know will does have neg and you know, X does have Simulacra and Tyler has Ear of the Knife. Um, you know, I, I kind of wanted this. I know everyone else in the band has other responsibilities as far as being in a band goes that I've just wanted this band to be, you know, sh- strictly fun, you know, something, you know, because they already have stress from uh, being in other bands on their plate, which I don't. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to, keep that environment of, you know, stress-free and, you know, just good vibes. No, I feel like the best way to approach a band is to go it with the understanding that it's all gift. This shit's a privilege. And you guys are able to create art. People enjoy, you know, hardcore music, whether you think it's just cool or you want to kick some kid's fucking face off. It is art. It's a, performative thing it's a creative thing it's cathartic thing and at a time some people take the opportunity when like you know strike while the iron's hot i like that you guys aren't thinking of like we're gonna go on this massive 30-day tour and we're just gonna try to be direct support for fucking pearl jam like you guys are still like now nah, we're gonna play some shows we'll go to our friends in california like there are people that would have already tried to leverage this into more of like a career type band and I and I and I'm humbled. I'm humbled to see that my friend Matt understands. Like, yo, it's cool to be in this band, but you have a you have a career ahead of you. You got real life that you're still trying to follow. And if, I think you realize in the balances, if you take this band too seriously or try to push this shit in a different direction, it could blow up. Instead of just doing what you're doing, which is making it fun, taking the opportunities as they come to you. And and I and I applaud you because a lot a lot of people would have went a different way about it. Yeah. I, and you know, it, it's one of those things that one of the first conversations we all had together was, you know, we'll do what we can do when we can do it, if we want to do it, you know, and that's pretty much the bottom line with it. No, that's the important thing. And I, and for me, anytime a band from our area gets popping, it just makes everything better. And I think going back to what you said earlier, the kid who saw cold world, and was like, I fuck with this and got deeper into hardcore. You are now on stage being that person for the next generation. 
And that next generation is going to get up on stage and do something cool now. Yeah, it's it's when you think of things like that, it's 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 surreal. You know what I mean? It's you know it it's cool. It's definitely a uh, a really sick opportunity that you know in the grand scheme of things, not many people have that much of an influence on other people. So you know to be able to you know be in that position to even possibly influence you know a young kid to start a band or to start a label or to book a show you know that's that's what it's all to that's what it's all about that's what's important well i think you got to be cognizant in the first place and what happens is people see value in a band and they think where else can i take it and there's an invisible line where they don't realize you're already taking this to the most important thing which is to the streets the kids are seeing this, they're being influenced, they're being, you know, encouraged, they're enthused, and these kind of things are what is like the fucking fertile ground that builds. And so, you know, I've always said it, it's it's hard for a Philly band in a Philly area band to really become anything. We've always had the greatest shows. There's some good bands, but not one band has become like the we don't have a man ball, you know? Right. And so every once in a while, one of our bands bumps off. I mean, our my hat's off to Bob Wilson. That motherfucker's in a thousand bands. And he's always doing something new. And it's because his heart is in like, fuck it. Here's my next band. Here's my next band. Right. Here's my next right. band. It's some. I think it's partly his love of Tony Urban and Urban never stopping to do bands. I don't know what it is, but like some people never give up. And it's not like Bob's like, it's this next band that's going to get me to be able to open for Limp Bizkit. Bob don't give a fuck if 10 people watch off the crowd, uh, off the tracks. He just wants to have fun and do this next thing. So the scene still has a band. And I love that you understand the importance of right now, while Gridiron is doing this thing and, you know, at tomorrow's show, you're going to be speaking to kids who have traveled all over just to see your fucking band play in the basement of a venue that you haven't been to since you were a kid. Yeah, it's cool. And that, you know, that's the reason you should start a band or, you know, is because you actually love this shit, you know, and you, and you give a shit about, you know, hardcore and, you know, the people that are in there in the room with you and, you know, the show that's happening next week and things like that. You know, if, if you're starting a band because, you know, you see an opportunity and you're focused on just, you know, success or something like that, um, you know, obviously if that comes when you start a band, great, that's awesome. You know, and no one's going to turn that down, but if that's your, you know, sole driving force in starting a band, then it, you know, that's, uh, in my opinion, that's not the right reason to do it. It's it just because they are thinking about themselves and it's like the, you, you've been there and that's what this conversation, I really am glad that we hit home is like. You've been there as the kid. You've been there as jumping in and get to play with your friends in this band. You've been there just in the van going to see your friends hours away. And this hardcore thing can be completely fucking built upon nothing more than just doing shit so we can all have fun. And there is always going to be opportunities where some bands crest out and they get more popular and they have bigger opportunities. But I find now in the in the world of today, the Twitter world, the go 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 world, that when a band hits moments like Gridiron, 
the wrong-minded people are already looking to make this completely about monetization and growth, not realizing that this whole thing is about all of us. You know, like Gridiron being a band who can have the draw that they're going to have at this show tomorrow, that helps me and Bob. That helps Philly hardcore shows. That helps Hesitate. It helps Snub Nose. It helps Carry by Six. It helps everybody in the area because our shows get better. And as our shows get better, more kids come and it grows this shit out. And and, and that's how I've always looked at it. And I know it's just because I'm a DIY local promoter person, but I, I love, I love when the fucking guys who are in this band are from not only from our world and our scene, but they're not legitimately already off the bat being like, yeah, I'd love to do a record. Uh, late. I want to do a record release. Um, talk to my agent. Our manager's going to get this band that has nothing to do with hardcore. We're going to try to make this even bigger and blow this whole thing up. Like I love when it stays in the real streets. I love when it stays in the mindset. And I, I can't applaud you guys more for it because a different group of people would have took it a totally different direction and could have twisted the narrative and taken something that's going to be organically great. And I, I know we tried so hard. I have to bring it up before the end of this podcast. It's not without trying that we try to make a Philly date happen. It just was not possible. There's a ton of shows that got rescheduled. And I told you, like, dude, th- we, we got to move it to Phoenixville. And I also think it's kind of cool because, you know, Philly has a lot of shows, but let's be real. We're talking to the king of the fucking burbs here. Boyertown fucking future Hall of Famer future fucking statue will be made in the middle of the fucking center city district of Boyertown for Matt Carl. Right so next to the not- mini Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it's like the Statue of Liberty and you're there holding a, a gridiron football. <laughs> and so I think it's cool that we brought the show to the Burbs. You know, yeah, I think it's actually, cool. It's, think it's cool as fuck to kind of go back and, and give love to the Burbs because you guys, I say this all the time, I'm from the city. I ain't never fucking leaving unless these fucking $700 row homes keep popping the fuck up. Then I'm the fuck out of here. Otherwise, it is PA hardcore. It is Philly, but it's like, what is Philly hardcore if all you kids didn't come in the suburbs and the droves that you did 10 years ago? Be me and Joe McHenry and OG Jeff Gavin and Vinny. That's who it would be. (laughs) Be four dudes. You know, like, even Jamie Davis and them guys, them guys were from out of the city. You know, like, it'd it'd be, the city didn't blossom hardcore. It, it, It was brought, filled up by the suburb people. And so it's good that we got a little love there, don't you think? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, you know, especially going, walking down those steps on Friday for the Integrity Show and like looking in there and, and you know, kind of just like picturing the show tomorrow there. Um, I was like, wow, this is, this is going to be sick. And dude, that venue is fucking awesome. Uh, I mean, some of my favorite, like that death threat show there is, was one of the, my favorite, I don't know what year that was, maybe 2012, something like that. But that was one of my favorite shows I've ever been to. That death threat set was unbelievable. So like, there's been very sick shows that have happened there. That venue was awesome. Uh, yeah. So ultimately I'm, I'm extremely pleased that it's there and I, I can't wait. Nah, man, it's, it's a blessing. Gridiron has blessed Pennsylvania and hardcore in general with the fucking, record that we played no good at goodbyes. I think that accumulating to the top of, you know, the hardcore thing is now, yeah, I did some bands like, yeah, but I was in gridiron and we have fun. And I think as long as you do this for the right reasons, 
it's going to stay fun. And I obviously, I love when someone has other opportunities. So their whole focus isn't like, I got to make this band big. Otherwise me and my girl are going to live in a fucking milk crate. I love when it's just like, yeah, this is just shit for fun. And we're going to make a fucking football. You know, like right. I love when these things come up and organically it just pops. And it, it shows you that you could build. And I've seen in recent times and you have too, people build these bands up hoping that one day these are the bands going to crush. And then some band comes out with a half tongue in cheek demo and turns into a sensation. It, it's fucking fantastic. And it's lightning in the bottle. And I also love that it, 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 hit, it hit for you, man, because you know, you're a goofy son of a bitch, but you've always been there for your friends. <laughs> you had times where your whole entire life was wearing goofy ass sunglasses and putting your fingers in fish's mouth. And I didn't understand why, but <laughs> look at you now. Man. I still do that, man. I didn't retire. I just have to you find, lost your sponsorship. Uh, no, I still got some. Yeah. So I have to, uh, you know, it's just finding time for everything now between work and school and the band and fishing. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. I got a lot on my plate right now, but we're making it happen. So did you ever catch a muskie? Uh, yeah, I have caught muskie before. They're right. scary. Look like dinosaurs. They straight up. No, sturgeon are straight up dinosaurs. Yeah, sturgeon are crazy. That's actually a bucket list thing for me is to go up to British Columbia and go on like a sturgeon charter. Bitch, they got them here. Pennsylvania got sturgeon. Not not that. Up, they're like 10 feet up in nah, BC. They're bougie. big, I just, big, we got big. Them. I didn't say 10 feet. Oh, yeah. They're they're big motherfuckers up there. Um, My hardcore retirement is going to be eating whole ass pizzas by myself on a pontoon boat. But I will let you fish off my pontoon boat. I will fit, I will gladly fish off your pontoon boat. I know, um, I know that pontoon pontoon boat dream has been in the makings for quite some time. So I can't be white trash and rent a house, but own a pontoon boat. That's just some shit I cannot <laughs> do yet. You know, the gold teeth already one thing. I can't go out there and be like <laughs> renting a house and having to like, oh, I got to move the pontoon again. You know, my neighbor's got to get in the driveway. I got a shovel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're not ready for pontoon life. And and you know what? Hardcore is not ready for me to have a pontoon yet. I don't think anyone's ready for you to have a pontoon yet. No, Bob Wilson is because we're going to except you. Me and Bob Wilson are going to eat some fucking Santucci's and hang out and literally just talk shit like we do normally, just <laughs> on a pontoon boat. On a pontoon, yeah. They, while uh, you're fi- while you're fishing. Yep. So yeah, me, Bob. Bob will be my net guy. <laughs> he's going to be the net. Yeah, that is the coolest He'll job. He'll be though. the net guy. I love the reel where there's some crazy shit going on and someone gets the net, and it's like. What the fuck if that net's not big enough? What the fuck happened? Then you're fucked. Yeah, yeah then you're, you're fucked, fucked then. Um, quickly, summarize no good at goodbyes and let everybody know how they could pick up this record if they are living on a weird planet and can only hear this podcast and don't know how to buy this record. And um, give us some salutations, give us some advice, whatever you want to sign off with. All right, yeah, so... uh. You know, no good at goodbyes as a re- the record as a whole. Um, I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that every single song kind of has a different vibe to it. So it doesn't get mundane. Uh, the songs don't really bleed together, in my opinion. Like every every song just feels a little bit different than the next, which uh, is something I'm really proud of. Um, I'm also really proud of everyone else in the band. You know, Tyler X, Jake, Bill. Um, you know, for, you know, jumping through hoops as far as traveling, you know, logistics aspect of being in a band with someone, you know, who lives far away. 
uh, for putting everything together and making everything happen and coming out with, you know, the final product that we did. It, it was awesome. And uh, I wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone else besides them. And uh, the record uh, is available on Triple B Records web store. Uh, it's up now. Uh, the footballs, you still might be able to get a football too. I'm not sure. Um, and besides that, yeah, tomorrow, record release, Phoenixville, PA at the Polish Club. It's going to be one to remember. Um, I'm really excited for it. And then uh, shout outs, uh, you know, Streets of Hate. Triple B Records, Days, From Within, Rebirth Records, all those labels, um, awesome hardcore labels that are doing a lot of cool shit right now. And then, um, you know, want to shout out Mind Force, uh, all the bands playing both record releases, uh, too many to name. Uh, they're all some of my favorite bands. So having them, being able to play with them all during our record release is something really, really cool. And uh, obviously, want to shout out Diet Coke and Boyertown. Since you brought up Coke, tell me you didn't drink that nasty ass Starlight, not space tasting motherfucking Yo, Coke. That shit. It. I took. So I got one before class the other week. It took me three hours to almost drink all of it, and I threw it out. It's the worst thing ever. I hated it. Uh, it you know when like you're sitting there in the fucking supermarket and you have to sit in this line. And I saw this bitch. I said, if this motherfucker doesn't taste like space, I'm going to be so fucking mad. <laughs> and I buy I buy two because it's a two for 22 gimmick. And I'm like, fuck it. Why not? Maybe if it's a bomb, I'll have another one. And it's straight ass. It was so bad. It's so bad. I don't know how that shit passed quality control. It was awful. Like, like calling that shit Starlight, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know what kind of berry they made it out of, but it was fucking ass. And I fucking, I'm so glad that we got to talk shit about it before the end of the podcast. Yeah, I hate it. And people, and you know what? People who say they like it, they're capping straight up. They're, there's yeah, straight there's no way anyone think it's good. No fucking, nobody with taste buds. And even someone with no taste buds would know it tastes like ass anyway. And <laughs> they'd find a way. They'd find a way. So if you're, if you're about that Starlight Coke, you're cap. And we don't like that. That's that's true. <laughs> I think that's a great way to end this motherfucker. Uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you, how do you want them to reach out to you? Do you want to reach out to the band? Do you want to reach out to Matt Carl himself? Ask about Bass Pro tips? How do you want to go about this? Yeah, for all uh, fishing-related inquiries, you can contact me directly at, uh, at Matt Carl on Instagram. And uh, any gridiron-related stuff, uh, it's gridiron HXC on Instagram and, you know, whether it's shows or, you know, zine or whatever it is, hit us up on that. And, uh, yeah, that's it. It's about it. If you want gridiron to play a show for you in the later part of 2023, find somewhere near a lake. That'll get, we Matt. got a pontoon boat. Yeah. We got a pontoon boat. Matt will come out and fish. I'll come out in my coolest not fishing gear and just hang out with a pizza of the regional variety. That's the only way Gridiron is going to play after August of 2022 is if it's near a lake. And we need a charcoal grill. Full charcoal. None of this fucking gas shit. Just tastes nasty. Yeah, no. No. King Kingsford or bust. Yeah. No, yeah. None of that broke ass shit that you just get at the $5 fucking store. Fuck that. <laughs> All Fuck right. Listen, man. I know. <laughs> Yo, I love you, man. I'm so happy for you. Uh, I cannot wait to see the reaction. I am promising you, if you're at the show, 
and your whole deal is to be a highlight reel and dunk on some little kid who's moshing hard by hitting them too bad, I'm going to beat your ass. Just plain and simple. It's so simple. If they're in the way, give them a little something. But if your whole gimmick is to try to hit someone smaller than you so you can be talked about on the internet, Sonny's not going to film you. He's going to take it out, and we're going to beat your ass. That's it. So come correct. All right, Matt. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> All right, Joe. Love you. See you tomorrow. Love you, brother. See you tomorrow. There it is. Matt fucking Carl. Future. Boyertown legend. Future ESPN Ocho. Bass Pro fucking champion 20 years in a row. Watch. This motherfucker's going to retire in infamy. Catching bass, kicking ass. It's my buddy Matt Carl. Make sure at the Gridiron record release. Make sure at the Zabalba 15 Years of Fear with this fucking crazy devil who is on our cool hand here at Knife Tour. It's a fucking weekend of chaos. Make sure you're supporting PhillyHCShows.com. Make sure you're supporting This Is Hardcore. And since we talk about podcast stuff, make sure you're supporting Post America Podcast. Richie, Wisdom and Chains. Make sure you're support, supporting Broadsheet Breakdown. Episode 112 was fucking fantastic. So glad the boys are back on it. Make sure you're supporting 185 miles south. Zach Nelson dropping the lifetime fucking record. John was fucking ill. Loving these fucking hardcore podcasts. Loving From Within podcast. Check out Give Blood. It's uh, Jamie Ork and Josh White. They talk about MMA. The Jamie Ork Show. Wasted Radio. Fuck, there's a thousand hardcore things that you should be listening to. And I'm um, checking out. Support hardcore, support real people, support real ideas, people that are in the pit, not on Twitter, and make sure to check out this podcast every fucking Friday. More shit coming up about this hardcore soon. Thank you once again. Have a great night. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.